it's common around this time of year to set goals. It's a new year. It's, it's completely arbitrary, the calendar, of course, but we call it a new year. We've gone around the sun one more time, so it's a new year. You put a new number on it. I don't know why, but it's, I'm, I'm having a hard time getting used to the idea of 2023 already. Told somebody last night I'm still getting used to 1992, but uh, it is a time for what we call a resolution to say, this year I'm going to do it this way. Have you ever done that? Made a New Year's resolution? How's that worked out for you? I'm guessing, like everyone, you've probably had mixed results on New Year's resolutions. I like to set New Year's resolutions to do something I was going to do anyway. That way, I'm assured of success. So my New Year's resolution this year is uh, get out of bed on a daily basis. Hopefully, there won't be any days this year where I stay in bed all day. I thought it would be interesting to think about God in terms of resolutions, determinations He has made. Of course, He doesn't wait around for new years. His resolutions are ancient. In fact, his resolutions were all made before anything was made. They're in his eternal nature and character. And things are only made because God is resolved. Because God is a certain sort of person's And so he has a certain determination of things from the very beginning. So today I thought, well, let's see some things God has determined. And to do that, I want to look at this very familiar, famous passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 12. I'm sorry, 8. <laughs> Romans chapter 8 And uh, I want to start, I'm, this says 22, but I'm going to start in verse 18. For I consider, Paul writes, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption, into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth until together until now. And not only this, but we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. 
And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And these whom he predestined, he also called, and these whom he called, he also justified, and these whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who's against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who's the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is a fantastic and encouraging text of the Word of God. Um, and it contains certain resolutions made by God, things he has determined to do. And it also contains a fairly strong theme that whatever God has determined to do will be done. Of course, he's God, so of course. There's nothing that can thwart him. There's nothing that can get in his way if he has determined this will be done, this will be done. But where this passage of Scripture starts is in our situation. And what it says in verse 22 is that all creation groans. All creation groans. Well, and he started where I started in verse 18 with our sufferings. And, of course, in the middle of his glorious conclusion, you know, nothing can separate us from the love of God, he mentions a bunch of groaning things, a bunch of hard life realities. Persecution, tribulation, distress, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, death, the powers of this world. He's not denying the existence of these things. He's asserting the existence of these things. And at the beginning, he's saying, we groan under these conditions in fact, all creation groans. All creation has been subjected to the collapse of humanity in sin. And so creation groans for this great reversal that is anticipated, for this great restoration that is anticipated, for the Fulfillment of the human project. We read, creation groans for our adoption as sons. 
the redemption of our body, the glory that is to be revealed. Creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of who? The children of God. The redeemed people of God. And so creation groans. We're part of creation. We groan. We are under this weight of difficulty, struggle, sin, and death. And so we groan for redemption, for resurrection. So God, in this context, has made certain determinations. So he says in verse 26, in the same way the Spirit helps in our weakness. That is not a denial of our weakness. There's a very strong tendency uh, in the human race to deny our weakness. To just pretend we're, we rise above. Well, we might rise above for a minute or two, but what happens in the end is we all die. We're all subject to this problem. We're all in the struggle of life and the difficulties of it. So the Spirit helps. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Then he says this very interesting thing about why that's necessary. He says, because we don't know something. There's something we don't know. In a minute, there's going to be something we do know in this text. And then later, there's something that the apostle is sure of, but he starts with, we don't know. There's something very important that we don't know. We don't know what is good for us. Now, the way he says that is like this. We don't know how to pray as we should. We don't know. What do you pray for? How do you know that's really what you ought to pray for? Do you ever pray for something and you don't get it? If you knew what to pray for, you would always get it because it would always be what God was prepared to give you anyway. We don't know how we should pray. We don't know what's good for us. There are certain things as I look through, uh, forward in this life, I think, well, that would be good. But if I actually got that, it would not be good. There's other things in this life that I pray against. Hard things. Don't let this happen. And yet, if this happens, that will ultimately produce something great and beneficial in my life. So I, I don't know. I can't tell. So the Spirit helps. The Spirit intercedes for us. How? According to the will of God. According to the will of God. With groanings too deep for words. Now, this, I think is a connection to all that groaning we just read about in the previous verses. The, the we're groaning, the creation's groaning, groaning, and the Spirit is groaning on our behalf before God according to the will of God. And so, to me, this is a great uh, insight into the idea that the Spirit indwells us and so understands us from inside us. And so he is a communion with God in us. This is a deep mystery and one of the most fantastic realities that is that the very God Almighty comes to indwell the life of the believer. 
And so He is with you. And so He hears you. And He in you has a deeper understanding of your situation than you. The struggles of your life are His. And more so. Because I think of small, temporal solutions. And he knows the solution. I think if the Lord just took me out of this situation, if the Lord just, you know, gave me a little cash or a better job or made everything right with these people who are important to me right now, this instant, then all would be fine. The Lord is operating on a deeper level. And the Spirit in us groans with us with groanings too deep for words. There's a, there's a spiritual communion with God the Father by the Spirit indwelling you. Groaning for what? Well, this says, according to God. That's a literal translation. We put the will of God, we put the will in there in order to help us understand what this means. According to God, it means according to God's purpose, according to God's desires, according to God's goodness. According to God, the Spirit expresses our longing for redemption in this communion of the Trinity that we are now caught up in in Christ by the Spirit. And this is happening whether you notice it happening or not. It's just a fact. I know I can go around not noticing this. I needed the Scripture to tell me this was going on. It doesn't necessarily feel like anything. The Spirit expresses my longing for full redemption for the coming day. The Spirit expresses the frustration of the saint-sinner reality. Here I am, born again, righteous, set apart to the living God by the work of Christ and by the indwelling of this very Spirit, and yet, sinner, struggle against my very own self, I endure the battle between the flesh and the spirit, as Paul talks about it in the book of Galatians, so that I can't do what I want. One of me is, going to, is disappointing. The flesh has its desires set against the spirit, and if I fulfill those desires, I'm not fulfilling the desires of the spirit. And if I fulfill the desires of the spirit, I'm not fulfilling the desires of the flesh. And both of these sets of desires are me. That is a frustrating life that we are in now, in this period of our redemption is accomplished and yet not fully consummated. And the Spirit is with us in this frustrating condition, and interceding for us according to God. This begs the question, what is the will of God? Now, we think of that phrase, the will of God, in terms of how we ought to direct our lives most of the time. I want to know what God's will is, meaning I want to know what God wants me to do. But this text is not about that. This text is about what God intends to do.
So the Spirit will intercede for us. That's something God has determined. When he, when he sent the Spirit to dwell in the believer and in the body of believers, his intention was intercession, among other things. The Father will bless us. Now, this text doesn't just come out and say that. It says it kind of indirectly. It says this, and, so the Spirit intercedes for us according to the will of God, and we know. Now, we started with something we don't know, which is what's good for me. I don't know what's good for me. I don't know how to pray as I should. I don't know that. But here's something we do know. We do know that God causes all things to work together for the benefit of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. That we know. That's just really kind of a long way of saying we know God is good. That we know. I don't know what's good for me, but I know God is good. I know God's will, this thing the Spirit is interceding for me for, is good for me. We know here the way this says, all things, God is causing all things to work together for the benefit, for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Now, this is not some sort of trade. In other words, it's not like, well, okay, so if I love God, then he'll be good to me. No, he is good. And he is causing everything to work toward the benefit of this category of people, which has two names here, and we'll have some more names as we go along, has two names. They are the people called according to God's purpose, who therefore love God. This is the category born-again people. This is the category those justified by faith in the context of the book of Romans. Those who have standing in God's grace. Those who have been reconciled, who have peace with God because of the finished work of the cross of Jesus. I'm just putting all this in the context of the book of Romans. Who are these people who love God called according to his purpose? They're the people who have received God's salvation by faith. So this is not describing some sort of quid pro quo arrangement of, okay, well, if you love God better, then you'll get more good stuff. It has nothing to do with getting good stuff, really. And it has nothing to do with some exchange, some religious exchange you enter into with God because in the grace of God in Christ all the exchanging has already been done. There's nothing left for you to bring. So, we know this. All things work together. Grace turns evil inside out in the end. This doesn't say all the good things work together. It says all the things. All the things, what, whatever is a thing, is being worked by the hand of God to produce benefit for all the children of God. Everything, good, bad, righteous, evil, everything. The devil himself is being worked for your benefit if you are a child of God. Everything. There is nothing that is not in the category of all things. Isn't it amazing when the Scripture uses these absolute terms? All things. 
not most everything you can think of, all things, whether you've thought of it or not. Whatever thing is troubling you is in this category. Whatever thing is stressing you out is in this category. Whatever things you're rejoicing in is in this category. And probably being worked into goodness for you in a way that has nothing to do with what you're rejoicing in today. It's richer. It's deeper. It's in the communion of the Trinity. It's beyond your imagination. But all things are being worked for your benefit. All things according to the will of God, according to the intercession of the Holy Spirit, dwelling in you, representing you before the Father, groaning for you. And we know that everything, God's causing everything to work for our benefit. Well, that would be good news if we just stopped right there. But he says, those who are called according to his purpose. Do you hear the resolution words? His will, his purpose, the benefit. And we don't know what it is, but he does. What is this benefit? Apparently, it's not the ordinary everyday things we think of as benefits. It's not the quality of our health care insurance. It's not my salary level. It's not freedom from cars breaking down or illness. It's none of those things. What is it? Well, he says it right here. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Now, we get freaked out when we read the word predestined in the Bible. And, you know, that's not an unjustified reaction. But here, it's not talking really about that eternal work of God's election in before the foundation of the world in which he chose us in Christ. You know, that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about predestined in the God has determined this outcome in advance. God has decided in advance that this will be the outcome for this group of people. Those whom he foreknew. Now, that word is also wrapped up in, you know, again, we're getting caught up into the sovereign grace of God and his sovereign election in time past that's involved here. He foreknew. That's, if you're talking about God, him foreknowing something is him determining something because he is the one who determines everything. We don't need to get too distracted by that. Those whom he foreknew, this same group of people, this is another name for this same group of people, those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. Now he's spelling out called according to his purpose. He foreknew, those he foreknew, he predestined. He determined in advance a particular outcome for this group of people. What's the outcome? It's right here. To become conformed to the image of his son. That's it. That is God's resolution. That we would become conformed to the image of His Son. There is nothing better that could possibly happen to you than that you would become a representation of God in Christ. That you would be the Christ-like you. Because here's the thing about Christ. He is the perfect human. He is the best of humanity. 
He is humanity as humanity was designed to be. That is, absolutely perfectly reflecting the image of God in the flesh. And that is the best thing that could happen to you, that you would become one of those. That you would be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. So God determined in it this in advance. He predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son to make Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, the Christmas baby, to make him the first of many. The restored humanity, the thing, creation, we and the spirits are all groaning for. The realization of humanity in its fullness. Those he foreknew, he predestined for this. This idea of firstborn among many brothers uh, is echoed in Hebrews chapter 2, where uh, we read about Jesus' sacrifice, that it, it pleased God to, in, in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of our salvation in his sufferings. Oh, so he, Christ, endures our groaning life as well. Those he predestined, he called, he named, he invited, he summoned. And those he called, he justified. This is a kind of a review of the book of Romans now. He justified, he imputed the righteousness of Jesus to those who believe. On the basis of that belief, on the basis of simply receiving the gift, he imputed this righteousness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we read that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might be the righteousness of God in him. Jesus came, died, suffered the same fate that we are all destined for, rose again and brings us into the righteous fellowship of the living God as a consequence of his sacrifice. So we are justified. We have the standing righteous before God. Those he justified, he also glorified, this says. And it uses this tense of the word that it's like it's already been done. But now that last word, glorified, this is the stage of this great process of redemption in which we live today. The glorified part. We are currently involved in this stage, and we anticipate its completion in the second coming and the resurrection at the end. And so we are in this, these, this is accomplished and also yet to be completely realized. So the current work now is a work in which God is producing the image of his son in you. Now, this is your present day opportunity to come to that appreciation, absorption of his goodness and grace and love in Christ in such a way that you begin to live that way. You have the Christmas life as we talked about it last Sunday, the the idea that you will humble yourself for the sake of another, you begin to reflect his goodness, and that is glorious. The cross is the most glorious event in human history and also 
the lowest point any man has ever gone to. But for the sake of love, and so glorious. So even now, in the struggles of this life, in the things we groan over, in the hardship, in the stress, there's this opportunity to exhibit, this opportunity to absorb the love of Christ. Paul says it like this, the best thing I can think of that I want more than anything is to know Christ. This is Philippians chapter 3. Is to know Christ and the fellowship of His suffering. In other words, me suffering for the love of another person is a means to the end of knowing Christ, which is, I can't, that's the thing. And so here he puts it like this. We're being conformed to the image of his son. We're in the process of glorified that will be fulfilled and completed on the day of our resurrection. Those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed. He called us. He justified us. He glorified us. And so we come to this conclusion, God is for us. He says it here, if God's for us, who's, who's against us now? God is for us. How do we know? You know, in this groaning time, the idea that God is for us can be hard to see. Just over the holidays, a friend of mine, I know this guy, we're, we're not close friends, but I, I've known him for many years. Now we're Facebook friends. Uh, he used to, we used to go to the same church. I saw him get baptized. He's a fairly young guy, I guess in his 30s. And he posted this thing that said something like, I don't understand this celebration of this Savior who conquered sin and death. To him, it doesn't look like they've been conquered. That's the gist of what he posted. I, I had no idea because I, you know, I don't see this guy very, very well, really ever. But he's one of those people who's lost his connection somehow. I, 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 my first reaction to this was, yeah, I know what you mean. If you look around in this world, you can lose track of the reality that God is good. And he lost track of it. It's sometimes hard to see that God is for us. So how do we know? Where can it be seen? I could say, well, I was blessed in this, that, or the other way. But here's the thing about all the ways I've been blessed. They're gone tomorrow. Except for one. Except for one. And it's right here in our text. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who's against us? Well, there's a lot of really good answers to that question. All kinds of things are against you. But God is for Well, how do we know? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, 
how will he not also with him freely give us everything? The Scripture says, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Really? Really, eventually, in him. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? How do we know? Where is it visible? Where There is only one good answer to the question, how do you know God is good? And the answer is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. All other answers will dissolve. That is the answer that does not fail. That is the hope that does not disappoint. How do you know the love of God? God demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. That's how. The, the reason you know God is for you is that Jesus died for you, rose again. These are facts of history. They are not wishful thinking. They are things that actually have occurred and continue to this day. Jesus actually was born, laid in a manger, grew up, died giving his own life a sacrifice for sin after living the life of perfect righteousness as the eternal Son made flesh, died giving his life a sacrifice for the penalty of your sin, rose from the dead. People saw him. He was there. He said, here, Thomas, put your finger right here. This is an objective reality. This is how we know. Ro ascended. The guys are standing around when it happened. They saw him go. They heard the angel who literally appeared to them say, he's coming back the same way he went. So we have this promise. How do we know God is for us? Jesus is how we know. And he also will intercede for us. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God's the one who justifies. Who condemns? Christ is the one who died and was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Christ intercedes for us. No charge against you can stand, not because you're not guilty. but because he intercedes and he is the one that paid the penalty. No charge can stand because the one who intercedes is the one who died for us. And so Romans, the beginning of this chapter, Romans 8 says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. None of this denies that bad things happen. I think my friend, one of his problems is he had a, he had an expectation of some kind of resolution that is not the resolution promised. The resolution promised is our resurrection in Christ one day. Jesus himself said, I will raise them up on the last day. It's not a resolution that solves your immediate problems except by telling you that the full resolution is on its way. Bad things happen, but nothing can separate you from the love of God. If he gave his son, that's the proof. And that is the thing Paul says, I am sure. I am sure that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. In whatever struggle, hardship, pain you must endure, 
you are more than a conqueror in him. Why? Well, not because he's just going to miraculously reach down and solve every last one of your little problems. No. But because he has solved the problem and promises the full delivery of that resolution. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. It is in the enjoyment of the love of God in Christ that we live. So, these, these are God's resolutions. The Spirit will intercede. The Father will bless us. The Son will intercede for us based on His own work, not ours. So, this might lead you to some resolutions. I have some suggestions. We don't know how to pray. So pray. Does that seem... We don't know how to pray. But the Spirit intercedes for us. So pray in whatever way comes to mind. Pray your own heart as well as you know it. Share with God the Father because you have this access freely granted. You can stand there and talk nonsense, and he's happy to hear from you. And as you pray, the Spirit intercedes according to God's will. So the Spirit understands where you're coming from and presents your case more correctly before the Father. So pray true. Pray true. Pray whatever your heart prays. Groan your little head off before God. Because the thing is, you can... I know I say this a lot, but the fact that you can pray is more significant than anything you are praying about. The very fact that you can stand in the throne room of God Almighty and pour your heart out and be heard and accepted and loved and embraced as His child that is more important than what was it I was praying for? Now, things happen. Pray. Pray true. Pray for whatever. Pray. The second thing is rest. Rest safe in Christ. Rest safe. God's working it out. Rest in it. Trust in it. Just have it. In Christ, God has absolutely, eternally, without any reservation, accepted you as his beloved child. Calm down. Rest in Him. Pray true. Rest safe. Live fearless. If nothing can separate you from the love of God, if no charge against you can succeed, if, if God promises to deliver along with Christ all things to you, if God is going to make everything work for your benefit in the end, live your life free, fearless, boldly. I... I also I want to say this another way. Live fearless. Love bold. Love bold. Risk it. Because 
You're not really risking anything. If you live your life sacrificially for the benefit of another person, that can go wrong on you in this world. So, you can give your life a sacrifice. This is what Paul calls us on us when he talks about what worship is. Because of what God has done, we can live boldly, love boldly, live in the Christmas way of humbling ourselves for the sake of someone else. There's great liberty in the security that we have in Christ. When we come to the table, we come to rest in Him. We come to simply receive what He provides. It's interesting that He put this little, kind of funny little ritual in the heart of the worship of the church of simply taking in His sacrifice, having it for ourselves, making it a part of who we are. So when, as we come to the table, we rejoice and we give thanks and we say to the Lord, good grace, good grace. It's a table of thanksgiving. It's a table of thanksgiving. And so if you are a born-again person, you come and you remember the goodness of God's grace, and you say again, yes, I'll have that.